The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. Hello, I'm Ken Crowther and this is the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on BBC Sounds. This week, Jeff Hodge is my special guest, taking your calls on everything from abutilans, fig trees and even gooseberries. We've also got some top tips on things you can be getting on with in the garden, plus our plant of the week. Don't forget, coming up, you've got some of those events around the county. Yes, your gardens that are open, your garden shows or horticultural events. Don't forget, you can send them along to me at ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk or pop them in the post to BBC Essex at PO Box 765 Chelmsford CM29XB. We go straight to your calls. And this week, we start with Vi in Westcliff. You're talking of butylands, is that it? That right, Vi? Yes, that's right, Ken. Um, do I feed at my butylon now? I've just taken the fleece off from the winter month. So do I feed it? How would you feel, Vi, if I sat you outside in your garden for a year and didn't throw you a bag of chips and a bit of steak every now and again? Yeah, you, I don't like chips. You, 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 <laughs> all right. I know. Good one. Like it, Vi. You answering back. Answering back, Vi. That's right. All, all garden plants need feeding. Um, yeah, no. So, I've not yeah, had but, this one long, so I just... But, but Vi it. is right that there is a, a, a better time to feed. I mean, you don't feed in winter, obviously, obviously. With, no. with much. No. Um, things are all waking up, aren't they? Well, I normally start feeding sort of... March? Uh, well, end of March, early mm. April. You know, when plants come into growth, a bit like you, when you wake up in the morning, the first you thing you want breakfast. is, I better have some breakfast. If you don't have your breakfast, you're not very well. When plants yeah. wake up in the spring, that's when they need feeding. So, yeah, definitely get, get, some, get, well, some, get some grub on it. It doesn't really matter what, general fertiliser or anything, or helping the beetle, wouldn't it? It all depends on how you prefer feeding. So, yeah, you want a, a fairly balanced or reasonably high-ish potash feed. OK, bye. Tom Wright. Tom Wright's fine if you're into your liquid feeding. Yeah, absolutely. And Does do I nip, nip the tops off to make it bushy a bit? Yeah, I mean, um, tip, tipping out any any plant like an abutilon will cause, you know, the lower buds to, to shoot, and so you will get a bushier plant. So oh, if, that's... That, if, if that's the effect you want, by all means. OK, thanks very much. Thank OK, you, that's Vi, and uh, don't forget uh, that number to call is 0800-111-4041. Uh, Hilary in Colchester. Hilary, what you got for us today? Well, I had two questions. That's all right. Um, I've, got a, I've got a fig tree, and last year it had fruit, but the fruits got so big they fell off, so I didn't get any. So is there anything I can do to try and stop the fruits from getting so big they drop off after one year and you lose them all? So you've got no figs on the tree at all at this moment? It might be beginning to put out a few new ones, but it's not no. from last year. It's got nothing from last year. No, they all fell off. There's not a lot you can do, is there? You can't... Well, fig, fig, <clears throat> figs will fall off for, for usually one or, one or two reasons. And the first one is they're ripe and they're ready to eat. Uh, and so, you know, once, once you should try and uh, pick them off before they fall off. Um, or that the roots have dried out and so it's aborting the fruits to try and prevent any further damage. 
So it could be that mm. you just left them on the tree for too long and you should have picked them and started eating them. Or it may have been that, um, you know, just with that hot, dry summer we had last year, it might have just needed some watering. Hilary, how big were these figs when you said they fell off? Um, inch to an inch and a half across, maybe. Yeah, that's oh, they're, ne- they're nearly, yes, they're, no, they're, they're the full-size fig. Yeah. Well, yeah, they're not ripe at all. The they they still can. Some figs will ripen within one year, won't oh, they, right. Jeff? Okay. Well, it, the, it's not the, every. They fig, don't always have a two-year cycle. Most figs have. Well, most figs, figs do have a two-year so cycle. If you bought one last year, it's quite possible that it had the baby figs on from the previous year, which would have then uh, matured last year. And, no, and, I think last, last year was its second year, and it had. It had one on when I bought it the previous year, and that one mm. did ripen. And yeah, then but they, they, produce, they can produce two, two crops. crops a year, and the ones that we, we generally tend to harvest are formed the previous summer. Yeah, right you have. So I think the answer is, no, there's nothing you can do. It's just enjoy the fig. Um, don't feed it particularly. You wouldn't feed a fig, would you, particularly? I think, Maybe. I, prob- I, think I probably would. Potash? Yeah. That's all? Well, I would, I would just use, uh, again, a bit like Vibe with her butylon, I would use a fairly well-balanced fertiliser. Yeah. I usually mm. leave them alone myself, but uh, and they well, seem once to they get, thrive. Once but, they get large, yeah. yeah. It's a young one. Give it a lend. If, if Jeff says so, we'll go by Jeff, and then if the figs all fall off, I can blame him. But, Hilary, give it a good... <laughs> give it a bit of feed, encourage it into growth, and hopefully next year you will be... Or even this year. Or even this year you'll be telling us about just those luxury figs. Just figs. keep on them, Hilary, and, when, and if they feel... You know, if they start to feel soft, then they're getting ripe. And, and, even, right, if, okay. and even if they don't ripen, green figs are, are beautiful as well. I love green figs before they ripen. OK. Mm-hmm. Okay, dope. And um, didn't didn't you have another? You had a, another question, didn't you, Hillary? Yeah, um, I've got a couple of rather large canners that are in a pot yeah. in um, tubs, and I gather you can split them. And I just wondered how and when. So, are these out or outside, Hillary? They're in tubs that are outside at, at the moment. We usually take them in over the winter. Good. Okay. All right. Um, it's getting a little bit late. If you split canners, it's it's normally done sort of April time, depending on when they start to start producing new growth. So yeah. um, I would carefully rummage around um, in the top of the compost. You know, remove the uh, the top layers of compost. Have a look until you come across the the, the rhizomes. Um, if they've already started shooting, um, personally, I would leave it. But if they still look dormant, then you can quickly lift them up, get, get a sharp knife, chop them up into sections, and, and then replant them. And that's all. You just chop the rhizomes up and then plant them again. Yeah, as long well, as they've got a bit of shoot on them, yeah. Well, or a bud. If it's, or a if, bud. Uh, yeah, each section has to have a bud or a piece of growth on it. Um, and the older the rhizomes are, <clears throat> you know, the less likely they are to have growth points on them. But, yeah, each section needs to have a, a visible growth point or even a, a little shoot showing. And just following on from fig trees, uh, Anne in Southend says she bought an olive tree last year. She's very disappointed because the olives are tiny. They are little tiny things about the size of a lemon pip. Um, she think, She's now repotted it. Do you think this would help them to grow into... Full size. She's after full size olives. She'll be lucky in this country. Well, she might be lucky. Or she might, I did say or, lucky. Oh, she might not be lucky. Yeah. I mean, not mm-hmm. all 
Uh, not all olives produce edible crops um, and they need the right growing conditions and weather and temperatures to, pr- to produce a crop. Um, they're really know, they're, a me- we have to accept they're a Mediterranean plant, aren't well, they? Well, and the UK is now a Mediterranean country after last after last summer. So, you know, there are olive farms in the there U- are. in the UK. So you can grow crops. It's just a matter of did the is the olive tree that you you've got a variety or a species that will produce reliable large olives because a lot are just sold as an ornamental uh, absolutely plant, yeah and that's the problem um, will repotting make them bigger uh, it'll no. help it, it'll help the plant to grow that's all well, it won't make the olives any bigger absolutely unless it's been overpotted in which case that might be a problem but we won't go into that Okay, best of luck, Anne, with your olive. It might never win for you, as Jeff says. Well, once if you see olives appearing, yep. then up the watering and the feeding, yeah, and see what and see what happens. But if we have a rubbish summer this year, depending on what your definition of rubbish is when it comes to summer, hot and dry is rubbish well, for me. Well, exactly. <laughs> if we have a nice, warm, sunny summer, you know that's what you need to encourage olives to crop. And from olives to gooseberries to Alan in Hoddesdon. Hello, Alan. Oh, morning, Ken and Jeff. Uh, trouble with the gooseberries, they've all got uh, mildew all over the actual berries themselves. The Already? Berries are a bit bigger that's than these, but they're early. all covered in mildew. Yeah, that's gooseberry mildew, but it's early for gooseberry yeah, mildew, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, but then that's wow. obviously due to, to that the, hot spell that we've had. And the dry, dry, dry soils. Um, OK, Alan, well, uh, th- there's no good news, I'm afraid. Um, if all off. Well, um, you could probably save yourself a lot of work and just allow them to drop off because once they're they will, affected, they? They'll, they will just literally drop off. Oh, okay. Um, mildew, powdery mildews are always encouraged by hot, dry conditions. So that weather that we had over Easter may have started it. But uh, you know, if you if you if you allow the roots to get stressed in dry soil, that always encourages powdery mildews. So you know, even though you think okay, gooseberries are long-term plants, you know they don't need watering yeah. to try and discourage mildew. Um, you know, during hot, dry periods um, during the spring and into summer, I would certainly be watering. Okay, thanks a lot. Much obliged. Sorry, okay. Sorry for and the bad news. I think Alan isn't the first to uh, be asking that question, and we've had some on emails as well about Gooseberry Mildew. It is, as we both said, it's yeah. incredibly early. Yeah. But but diseases, a bit like plants, how they how they come about and grow is all about what happens weather with the dependent. weather. Yeah. Weather dependent. Let's now look at Plant of the Week, and I'm going for Syringa Mary Palabin. Now, Palabin is um, originated in places like Korea. It's a dwarf lilac. Now, a lot of lilac bushes do grow pretty big, so this is quite useful in the smaller garden that we seem to get these days in new houses, and if not, in the middle of a large border would look very nice. They grow to about one and a half metres high. They're neat, they're compact, but the flowers are sweet and fragrant. They come out sort of dark pink buds and emerge into a sort of lovely lilac pink flowers. Um, They really are very, very popular indeed, and you'll find them in most garden centres. The good thing about them is they put up with pretty well all soils, uh, which is very useful, um, except if you've got a very acid soil. And, of course, not too much acid soils in Essex, but there are pockets of acid soils. So avoid them if you're doing that. If not, change the soil basis. They're useful, little care needed, 
in spring, give them a bit of general fertiliser to encourage that flower and then lightly prune in late summer to keep the shape. So don't forget that. Dwarf lilac, Syringa mayori, palibin. I saved my chocolate orange plants, but my matchmaker bushes have started sprouting twiglets. Help. Got any help? No. no well, we'll I, move on, shall no, we? I, no. Who was that from? <laughs> Who's it from? Chris. He's an armchair gardener. Chris, can you tell us where you live? Because I want to come and take a cutting of those so I can have some in my garden. (laughs) Let's go. We seem to be on fruits and we're on tomatoes this time from Pamela in Ockenden, aren't we? Hello, Pamela. Good morning, both. Um, Yes, I've decided to grow tomatoes from seed this year. Mm -hmm. I'm growing Marmaid Super. Um, I've got them in the upstairs bedroom and they're now about seven inches tall. Now, I've had conflicting views over the years. Some people say don't move them till the first flowers appeared. Correct. Others have said, oh, well, that's the first point. So that was the question, really, because I've got a grow bag ready on a south-facing wall. Not at the moment, of course, with the weather. I'm glad you said that. (laughs) Eventually. No, they're still sitting comfortably. So, really, what I'm asking, the the next step, please. Okay, what you, what, you fi- what you find with tomatoes and some of the other fruiting vegetables like uh, aubergines and peppers is that if you give them a really free root run, all, what they say, they say to themselves, ah, oh, well, I don't, I don't need to flower and fruit because, you know, I'm, I'm not in any sort of danger. I'll just let my roots grow and, and run off riot. If you keep the plants slightly pot-bound... And so that slightly restricts the free growth of the roots. The plant says to itself, bloody heck, what's going on here? I can't get my roots where I want them to go. I better have sex quickly so that I can produce my babies. And of course, that for, for plants, sex is actually producing their flowers. So they flower a lot earlier, lower down on the plant, and so you start cropping earlier. So I always recommend you leave the tomato in its small pot until the first flower starts to form and open, and then you can plant it out wherever you want to grow it. But, but as you but as you say, it's far too it's far too early to put them outside now because of the certainly with the weather that we've got. At what point would you start actually feeding the tomato once you've moved it out in flower? Okay, well that again is quite important uh, with tomatoes, and you basically wait until uh, the first fruit has started to form. So as soon as you start to see that first green fruit in the um, um, in the, the end of the flower, that's when you start feeding. And anything particular, is it the tomorite, is it particularly that one that you use? Well, you want a a tomato fertiliser has been specifically formulated to give tomatoes everything they need. And if you use something like tomorite, it also has seaweed extract. Seaweed extract helps to boost the strength of plants and it also helps improve the flavour. So it's always a good idea to use something like tomorite. Well, we're going to move on to George from Canvey, who's uh, got an apple tree in a container. Is it a dwarf apple tree, George? Yes, yes, it is a dwarf apple tree. It's got, got loads of uh, blossom on it, mm-hmm. and they're forming a small apple. Now, um, do I thin the uh, small apple out, or what? Well, if you if you've got too many, George, what what happens with apples? As you probably know, they you know the flowers are produced in a cluster, which means that the fruit is produced in a cluster. Yeah. And if you've got uh, a variety and and it's a particular 
year weather-wise where you get every fruit in every cluster forming, then basically you'll get a lot of small fruit and a lot of it will be too small to, to properly eat. Yes. So if you've got clusters of, you know, three, four, five fruit together, then yes, you need to thin them out. And now that, or later? Well, I was going to say, would you wait till fruit drop? No, well, no, not necessarily. You wouldn't? No, I mean, you are <laughs> going to get some fruit drop or the June drop in June. Yeah. Um, but if, the, if you know, you've got five fruits already forming now, um, I personally, I would be looking to certainly take one off so that okay. you are starting to do the thinning process. Yeah, they're in a cluster of four or five, and then I'll take the middle one out, shall I? Yeah, that's absolutely that's spot work. on. That is what we call the king fruit, and the king fruit is the one that you remove, because that one will take more nutrients than all the other fruit, and so you'll get sort of one really big fruit and, and lots of little ones. So, yeah, the, the centre one, the king fruit, is the one you remove. Super, super. Thank you very much indeed. It's a pleasure. That's what we're here for on 0800 111 and we pop over to Stone Market. Before you go, oh. I just wanted to just what? add, so, yeah, don't over-thin now. Take the one out. Take That's the why I was a bit careful, because yeah. I'm inclined to thin after June drop. Yeah, but see. I'd rather do it now so that you the fruit already starts... Yeah. Forming. But if you take, you know, if you've got five and you take three out, and, and then one drops in exactly. the June drop, you, you know, you've you, lost you, it. You've lost them. Is it Al from Stone Market? Yep. Hi, Al. Hi, guys. Straight question, Ken. Yep. Um, Japanese aces. Yes. I can't see or find anywhere what I'm supposed to feed them, or even if I'm supposed to change the compost in the container. Have you any ideas or help for me? They're looking sorry for themselves. Well, the the fact that they're feeling sorry for themselves might not have nothing to do with the fact that they're growing in a container. It could be the fact that they're in a wind pocket or a frost pocket or they've been blasted with wind or the compost is drying out, all sorts of reasons. Um, if you've had them in the container for several years, what I always do with plants like that in a container is every spring um, I'll scrape off the top inch or two inches of compost and replace it with fresh um, and as for feeding, um, it, again, it doesn't really matter what you use. I mean, if you if you if you use grow more, you could use grow more. But personally, because I'm lazy and I don't want to be out on a regular basis feeding a lot of my plants, um, when I refresh that compost with the new compost each spring, I'll just add um, you know the the right amount of a controlled release fertilizer because that will feed the plants for six to seven months. Okay, uh, I've been trying seaweed. But it doesn't seem to be doing any good. Um, the top one or two inches, I replace it with compost. Is there any special compost? Uh, ericaceous? Or no, not not. I mean, really Japanese matter, maples don't <clears throat> like. Uh, growing in alkaline conditions they won't grow in chalky soils um, but they don't mind a neutral neutral thing. ph which is what you get with a multi-purpose compost so an ericaceous compost isn't necessary just use any good multi-purpose or potting compost okay right thanks Jen. that's a pleasure there's al from uh stowe market i'm just going to stay on aces because we had a, a, an email that i sort of linking quite well can you give me advice on how to treat and prevent acer dieback on my acer sangoku sangokaku okay well well dieback again is, uh, is what he's saying is what happened is you know the beast from the easter they described yes yes yeah, yeah he said he got a bit of dieback then yeah. so he tipped it back um, but it's been touched again in the last few weeks. It's in shade, gets sun in the afternoon, and it's quite well protected. But 
I've noticed that aces have been touched in the mm. last few weeks because we've had hot sun. Yep. We've had wind. Yep. We had cold nights. Yeah. Some cold yep. nights. So there's not a lot you can do. It's the same sort of thing, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and Japanese maples don't like being pruned when they're in growth. So, you know, if it is only literally the tips of the thin stems, nothing to worry about. If you, leave if, well if, alone. You can leave them because they'll usually drop off. If they look unsightly, you can cut those off. But if you're actually trying to cut into reasonably sized branches as opposed to the tips of stems, then that cannot be done now. You have to do that in winter. Yep, there and uh, don't panic. There is a, a fair bit of burning on different plants going on, isn't there? Horticultural fleece. Yeah, listen, listen, fleece. Listen to the podcast. Yes. We Ad tell you all. Advice on the podcast is available. And don't forget that podcast is available on the BBC Sounds app. Um, it'll be up and ready to go by mid-afternoon. Let's go to Mary now in Thundersley. Hello, Mary. Hello, Jeff and... Uh um, Ken, sorry. Oh, yeah, don't, don't, use his name first, please, Mary. You'll get very upset with me as, as he's the main host. <laughs> Would I worry? I, I'm, just a, I'm just an interloper coming down every couple of weeks. It went out of my head, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I've been given a lovely peony plant, yes. and I'm going to need to put it in a pot. And I know they grow quite big. And um, what size pot would I need to start it off? What's with? it in now? What size it, pot, it, roughly? It's in, a, it's in a pot that came from the nursery. It's about a four-inch wide okay, one. OK, right, yep. Mary, does, does it have to go in a pot? I don't like it, do I? I haven't really got any room in the garden. You haven't, OK, because, uh, you know, 99.999% .99 of plants will grow in a pot or a container. Um, peonies are one of that 0.0001% that aren't mm. brilliant. They will grow in a container. I mean, I've seen some fabulous peonies in containers, but they much prefer to be in the ground. But if you haven't got that option, um, do you know which variety it is? Have you any it, idea? It's called Peony Lactiflora. Oh sword dance it's a new one okay yeah. all right yeah that's that's a reasonably compact one personally i'd probably be potting that up into about 15 to 18 inch diameter pot so that's 30 centimeter as well isn't it? Is that uh, right? 35 so 35 so, yeah yeah right. and and would, what soil would you use would, jeff uh, well because Sorry, would that be a plastic pot or an earthenware pot? Well, it depends how posh and, and how rich you are, Mary. Well, I just wondered if they don't <laughs> what would like we, No, what would be best? Earth, a, a terracotta would be better for it, wouldn't it? No. You'd put plastic? Well, I mean, obviously terracotta looks looks more classy. It's more expensive. It's more difficult to, 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 to look after in the winter. Yes. Um, and terracotta breathes, and so therefore it dries out. So therefore you oh. have to water more frequently. Oh, right. Well, we plastic, plastic looks... She's going for plastic. Plastic looks cheap and trashy to some people, but you can get some fabulous plastic pots that look like terracotta yeah. or... or even lead um, and of course because, because they're plastic they don't dry out so you don't have to do so much watering so it's a lot easier would and, you use, and, right, and cheaper would you use a johnny's compost i would use a johnny's compost but i wouldn't use it on its own i would mix, mix it 50 50 with again another good multi-purpose uh, or potting compost i've got a lot of garden compost could i use 50 50 with that or not? what your own homemade garden compost yes mm. no. see the scientist hasn't hasn't formulated <laughs> I know a lot of people think you know compost is just stuff that's sort of swept up off the floor and chucked in a bag. But, but it isn't. But scientists actually formulate how it's going to how it's no, I'll right. tell together. you what, Mary, do the job properly. You, do it, yeah. you bought a lovely 
peony, get the pot that Jeff suggests, yes. and then do a John half in. and half. John, half Johnny's and half multi-purpose, and I think you'll find that it, you'll be successful. As it's a plant that doesn't like always like being in a pot, and as it's a plant that's a fabulous plant it. when it looks good, and it's going to be in there for. 15, 20 years, give it the best treatment you can. We go to Jean in Harbridge who's given us a ring on 0800 111 What are we talking about, Jean, with yourself? Weed ones. Right. Um, is it better the electric weed wand or the gas one? So can do you um, electrocute them or cremate them? <laughs> I like it. <laughs> What a good one. Jeff, have you done... Because I know you do you do research on different products. I do. Have you done either of those products? Both. So, I've, what in your I've, opinion? I've done, Come on. I've done gas canister or yep. LPG weed ones yep. or gas burners, as they're called, and I have done the hose lock electric one. So, come on, which would you favour? The best one... Um, Obviously, you need to make sure you've got a suitable electricity point in your garden. Because it runs off the mains. It runs off the mains electricity. Is the hose lock green weeder, which is very, very satisfying. And it's very easy to use. And you, it's almost like having a walking stick. And you wander around the garden. and you, Zapping. And you put it on top of the weed. And it produces a 600 degrees centigrade thermal shock to the, to the weed. The problem with it is it is not recommended for use on lawns. Because obviously you, you just, burn the lawn. you'll make a circular burn in the lawn, and it's also not recommended for use in borders because if you've got dry soil and if you've It'll got dry soil with a lot of organic go material, go to the roots of the other, other Well, plants. It, it could actually set your border on fire if there's mm. a lot of dry material. And, in but there. you couldn't use a gas one in the borders, really, or. Or on the lawn. So. No, so they really are limited so to use on hard surfaces. They are. There's a man who's tested them. What do you reckon then, Jean? Um, yes. Uh, um, I think electric ones are more expensive, yes. are they not? Yeah, they yes. are, but you don't obviously have to renew the gas canister on, no. on a regular basis. So, can you use an extension lead? Yeah, well, as long as yeah, it's as long as it's say, as long as you've got protected. an RCD, as long as you've got a residual current device, which you should use for any electrical equipment outside yes. in your garden. Yes. Then yes, that's if you, the one you, that's if you cut through the uh, wire on precisely, your precisely, yeah, yes, yep. it yep. stops you getting get, get electrocuted. Yes, because we yes. wouldn't want that, Jean. No. Anyway, thank you very much. Back to gardening questions in a moment, but right now, on the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast, we've got some top tips on things you could be getting on with in the garden this week. Jeff, what you got for us? OK, I'm, uh, I'm standing in the vegetable garden. Oh, you're not? I am. No, well, OK, on, I mean, I'm actually in the studio, but in my, in my mind, I'm in my vegetable garden. The wind is blowing, it's a little cold. Mm, well, it's a little bit cold, but I'm continuing stalwartly to carry on sowing, making little and often successional sowings of salad crops to ensure that there's a continual supply all the way through the late spring, summer and into autumn. Um, there, are, you know, there are people out there, once they get excited about doing something like veg growing, you know, they'll, they'll sow a 20-foot row of lettuces. Uh, and then, of course, you get, you, know, you get 20 or 30 lettuces that all come ready at the same time, and then you don't know what to do with them all. But if you, you know, certainly if you live on your own and you only need two a week, then what you should be trying to do is successionally sow two a week so that you have a continual supply. And then it'll be fresher, it won't go to seed, it'll be much nicer, it won't go bitter, and that's the best way to do it. 
Um, you can also make sure that you sow thinly. You don't want to be spending the whole time, you know, thinning out all the seedlings. So successional sowing and doing it nice thin sowing. You can also do things like cauliflowers and purple sprouting broccoli Ooh, and leeks in seed beds ready to make little plants for transplanting out so you've got crops for the autumn and winter. And if you really want to make an early start, because it's still a bit too cold outside, but if you want to make an early start on things like French beans and runner beans, courgettes and marrows, then if you've got somewhere you know reasonably warm and some good light indoors, then you can do all those sowings now as well. Now then, yeah, yeah. I was giving a talk the other week and somebody, oh, yeah. somebody asked me, what's my most important piece of gardening equipment at this time of year? That's an interesting question. It was question, an interesting actually. question. And after a bit of thinking, I thought, do you know what? It's that bog standard simple piece of equipment called horticultural fleece. Because we can yeah. use it to keep things um, pest free, you know, as a barrier against insect pests. Frost free. Frost free. And certainly if you're doing, you know, again, vegetable sowing, yeah. then you might have some young plants. Lots of things like hydrangeas and even Japanese maples, the young growth. You know, we had that warm spell over Easter. All came out. Lots of fresh young growth cold spells now this weekend and this week so they might get frosted all you have to do is have a little bit of horticultural fleece around throw it over the plants for some protection and you've noticed i've said horticultural fleece you did because believe it or not this is true i had an email somebody said what can i do to protect my plants i said cover them with fleece he came back to me a couple of weeks later and said it seemed to work but the weight of the fleece damaged the plants he was trying to use a woolen fleece, he? Was, was actually using a fleece jacket. Ah. So please don't Haughty do that. Horticultural fleece. fleece, please. Thanks very much, Jeff. The Gardening Hour podcast on BBC Essex with Ken Crowther. And we're going to go back to the phones. And where are we going? I'm going to trying to decide where we're going to go. Oh, I think we'll go, fancy? To, we'll go to Eastwood. Let's we'll go, go to Eastwood, Eastwood yeah. and talk snowdrops with Beryl. Oh. Hi. Hello. Talking talking snowdrops, yes? Yeah. Yes. Can, can you tell me, my snowdrops finished two weeks ago, but I know I have to leave them. Well, how many weeks do I have to leave them before I can cut the, the, the leaves off? As with all spring flowering bulbs, you wait until the leaves start to turn yellow and brown and die back. That's ideally how long you should leave them. So that's roughly, what, about six weeks? Well, it depends Depends on on the weather. Depends on the weather, Beryl. It all depends on lots of factors. So you have to just wait until you start seeing the leaves going yellow and browning and dying back, and then you can remove them. And I'll cut them, or do I pull them out? You'll find they'll pull off once they're yellow and brown. Yeah, if they're ready to come off, if it's the right stage, you just gently tug at them and the way they come. Right. Thank you for your help. No worries, That's Beryl. a pleasure. That's Beryl in Eastwood. And don't forget, it's the Gardening Phone-In with Ken Crowder every Saturday morning between 11 and 12. And we will now go to Brian from Harold Hill. Hello, Brian. Morning, Ken. Morning, Jeff. Um... I bought a couple of uh, these polythene greenhouses because I've only got a small garden. I've got it in a south-facing position, fairly close to the uh, wall of the house. Do you mean one of these sort of stand-up pop-up things? That's right, yeah. Yep. Now, I've got I'm full of seedlings. Now, this weekend, the uh, weather forecast was warning about uh, you know, the possibility of a, a ground frost. Yep. I don't know how much protection I can expect from these uh, greenhouses. 
the policy that it closed, what I've done, I've put some paving slabs in the bottom, which during the day retain the heat, yep. and give it off during the night. Yeah, good but idea. Will that give me enough protection for these frosts they're sort of forecasting at the moment? Okay, what you what you have to consider is is, is, is things like well frost things like frost frost <laughs> is is cold weather coming down, yes. So if yeah. you if you've got a big plastic structure in in the way of the frost coming down, the frost will just come down around it. So frost isn't going to get into your greenhouse. So frost isn't a problem. The problem is the the associated temperature that you get yeah. with frost. Yeah. So, you know, if if the outside temperature goes down to minus 10, it's probably going to be something like about minus 8 inside your polythene greenhouse because because uh, there's no heating in it. Yeah. So it all depends on what the temperature I wouldn't in this situation I wouldn't worry about frost at all. I would worry about what the predicted temperature is. Yeah, I mean, the night-time temperatures at the moment are still in the plus, aren't they? They're still, you know, sort of 7, 8 degrees. Yeah, but a seedling is going to struggle, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I always recommend seedlings should be grown on at around 8 to 10 centigrade. So, yeah. you know, if it drops down to 5 tonight, then that temperature inside yours is going to be maybe 5, 6, 7. To my mind, that's still a little bit chilly for, seedlings, for a seedling, it? and it's going to yeah, get a cold yeah. shock. Well, that's reassuring because I've done the right thing. I've got a kitchen full of seedlings at the moment where I bought them in last night. Yeah, uh, you're doing so, just uh, no. You're doing just the right thing. If you've got the time and you and you can, ideally, yeah, you put them out in the daytime so they get plenty of light and good temperatures, and then whenever a cold temperature is forecast, you bring them indoors. That's the ideal. Or you can buy little paraffin. Heaters for those Tiny things. Ones. You could stand on the stones in the bottom. Yeah, a little, just, a yeah. little, a little round one. They're about mm. four or five inches in diameter. Mm. So yeah, there's another idea for you. That's Brian in Harold Hill with his his um, lean-to type little pop-up. Well, they're called grow frames. Grow frames. Yeah. But talking potatoes with Sharon in Whitham. Isn't that right? Yes. Good morning to you. Um, yes, potatoes in Whitham. Our first earlys are coming up. Um, obviously, on the allotment. Mm-hmm. Um, now, we're concerned about the frost. I um, would be as well. Oh, good. <laughs> because my husband is going up every night and putting um, almost like a tarpaulin uh, tent over them and then going up in the day when the sun comes out and taking it off again. Mm -hmm. Are we doing the right thing or will they, will they survive a certain drop in temperature? I would say, do you mean a tarpaulin or do you mean a plastic cover? What what cover is he plastic. really using? It is, it is plastic, but he's sort of putting some sticks so that he makes more like a tent over them. And is it stop. and is it clear plastic or can you uh, see can you see through it? No, I think it's black plastic. Black plastic. Okay. Oh, All right. I mean that that mm. is one option, <laughs> and it, and there's no reason why you shouldn't do that. But obviously it does mean that you have to get up, you know, reasonably early in the morning and, and remove it, you know, maybe uh, nine o'clock in the morning to give the plants plenty right. of light mm. to, which to start growing. Doing, <laughs> which is what he's doing, Jeff. Which is fine. Your other option is to, is to use horticultural fleece, 
which you can, uh, you know, you could even leave on during the daytime. Um, and of course, the other thing that you should be doing with your first oilies is earthing them up. Oh, he has been doing that. He's yes. been doing he that has as well. Been doing it. I'd but go little devils still keep coming up. Well, they do, which is a, which is a good which is a good thing. It shows they're growing, which I, is what you want. Honestly, I would go out and buy some horticultural fleece. It, you know, for the price, it's it's not even expensive, is it, Jeff? It's it's cheap. You can buy huge, great rolls of it if necessary. You can then use it to, you know, frost protection around the garden, pest control on your brassicas, your carrots, all sorts, all of, sorts things. of things. But if that's what if that's the way you want to do it with the with the with Nothing. the and you're happy to go up in the evening and come and go back again in the morning to remove it, no problem at all. But what, what, what would you say, um, say for argument's sake, he, he didn't feel so well and he couldn't do it, what would you say would be the um, outcome of this? If, because obviously you're recommending the horticultural free fleece, which is fine, I'd, I'd go and get well, if he, if he if he if he gets ill in the day and he gets cold at night and he can't yeah. go and, he can't go and put it on right. then they are going to get frosted and get burnt right. if he gets ill that he can't remove it in the morning yep. then they are going to sit in the dark which means that they are going to start to go yellow and start dying back right. both, right. both of which are, fleece, yes. you, yeah. can, you can you can take it you can leave it on you can grow your crops through we'll it if it necessary you go. take it on take it off do what you like with it and it's really light but it can does have a habit of blowing away if you don't anchor you it down properly. Definitely anchoring down. Uh, we're going to go to Dave in Chelmsford. Hello, Dave. Hello there. Uh, you know, I phoned up for um, a little bit of advice on choosing a wisteria. Yeah. We've got a south-facing wall on our house. It's quite a sunny spot. It's fairly dry along there because there's mainly pathways. Yeah. Small flower bed. My wife's always wanted a wisteria. I'm wondering if... Um, it's going to be a bit too big a plant for a, a town garden, or whether you can get like miniature or dwarf ones. Well, you can get you can get dwarf fir ones. Basically, there are there are a few others, but there are two main species. So there is Wisteria sinensis, which are the, the the really big, vigorous ones, which I would say are not suitable for you. And oh. there is Wisteria floribunda, which right. is far more compact. So if you go to a garden centre, um, there are lots of varieties of both, but what, basically what you want is a Wisteria floribunda variety. Oh, that's lovely. That's really helpful. And, yeah. and, you, can, you, can get what, you can get white, pink, blue, purple, all sorts of shades, but it needs to be a floribunda, floribunda. not a sinensis. Excellent, right, yeah, that's a good thing. So and of course, the most imp- and although wisteria like reasonably dry soil, it's never going to get established unless you do some good, thorough soil preparation before planting. So dig yeah, out well. and replace the soil with, or mix in with the good soil, organic good material. compost to get the plant off to a good start. And make okay, sure that uh, you yeah, water I'll... it well after planting and certainly during the first summer. All, All right. right, lovely, okay, thanks, that's excellent advice. That... I should go and do that now. Oh, not right now. Just wait till after yeah, 12. Yeah, you've got 20 minutes. Just hang around. Have another cup of tea. Can you remember which one? Because Sinensis I can't. coils to the right, I, I, is it? I'm Yeah, we won't go what? there. Should we leave that one alone? Yeah, I, thought, I was yeah. hoping you weren't going to ask. Yeah, you knew I was going to ask that one because I can't remember either. Uh, I think Floribunda is anti-clockwise. Yeah. But, but we won't reckon on it. But it might we'll, be clockwise. Yeah. Pat from West Horndon. Bamboos. You trying to kill your bamboo, are you, Pat? Yes, good morning, Ken. Good morning, Jeff. Morning. Um, it's it's actually for my daughter. On tidying her shed, yes, we found it growing through the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, it's come from the next door neighbour. It's travelled under the obviously come under the fence. 
Um, the shed is on a concrete base, but somehow it's got in between and come up through the floor. But then on inspection, we've found that it's actually between the fence and the back of the shed, and it's now sort of five, six feet tall there. Um, what can she do? Okay, the, the first... Space, the space isn't big enough to actually get behind the shed to... to I'm glad she said that, because you were going to say, go, go behind and cut it back a bit, were you? Well, the first thing I was going to ask is, are you sure it's bamboo? Well, yes, it's coming through from the next-door neighbour's okay. garden. OK, I know, yeah. Because, really because, because there, is something, there is something called Japanese knotweed that looks like a bamboo, and it's a noxious weed. So if we've got really? bamboo... OK, well, basically, with bamboo, you've got two options, um, mm -hmm. <laughs> neither of which is, is going to be suitable for you by the sounds of things, in mm -hmm. that the first one, you, you could because they spread by an underground rhizome, mm -hmm. what you have to do is you go up to the fence line and you cut through the rhizome zone and then right. you have to dig up the bamboo that's uh, that's oh. on your side can't mm. be done because of the which narrow gap which can't be done and you mm. and no. you can't dig up what's underneath the shed because it's on a concrete base yeah. your other option is a, a weed killer <laughs> well the other option is to use a weed killer but the only weed killer that works unless you do sever the, the rhizomes in the first place, mm -hmm. is going to work its way back into your neighbour's bamboo and, and start to kill and damage your neighbour's bamboo, which might upset the neighbour. Right. So, so if your friend... quite a lot of it all the way along the back. <laughs> if you're friendly with your neighbour, you could yes, ask... she is. I mean, well, she doesn't really want to upset her neighbour. Well, no, no, but what she could do oh, is please. go around to the neighbour and sever it at the fence line... Yep. Right. in the neighbour's garden. Yep. Then you yeah. could treat what you've, she's got in her garden with a weed killer. What weed killer would you use? Well, it, it's got it, to contain it, glyphosate? It has to be one that contains glyphosate. It has to be something like Roundup. Roundup, yes, I've used that myself for quite a lot. So but because I, I, but because bamboo is quite a, you know it's got a huge root system and it's got you know quite thick leaves, you know one application of of, of a weed killer is not going to kill it. You're going to no. have to keep doing repeat more, applications more. Um, yeah. as you get regrowth. Mm -hmm. But if you if you don't sever it, 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 it you're basically going to kill or damage your 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 daughter's neighbour's bamboo, which you know might start causing well unfriendliness and it might even start a, a, a court action. So we don't want that. Then let's move to Linda in Eldenham. Hello, Linda. Hello there. Good morning. I've got probably six or eight large, well-established cordylines in my garden, um, and the leaves are going very yellow. And when I pull them off, they're quite pappy. Um, and in one of the pots, I believe there is ant activity. I'm just wondering, is there a drench I can use or what's going on because they are established and they normally look lovely and green but they're going very yellow so which leaves are going yellow linda is it the lower oldest ones or yeah, the is lowest it... older ones which i can expect but yeah. they're, they're sort of halfway up as well okay because you know that's mm, if it's that's just normal, the, if it's it? just the lower <coughs> ones working their way up that's normal that's, that's how cord lines grow yeah. if if you've got yellow ones happening all over the plant then there is a problem and she said the the, the stems are pappy no, the leaves. Just the leaves. The leaves. As you pull the leaf off, it's very pappy and wet. Yeah, and, yeah. and it, it sounds like you might have a rot yeah. happening, which may have been started over the winter with, with cold and wet weather. Um, the, the ants might be causing a problem by excavating the roots, but I, I think it's possibly more likely that it's a, it's a, it's a winter damage problem. Um, and you can get a, a slime flux 
bacterial disease, which does cause the whole stem to go <laughs> very, very Yucky. pappy and very, very smelly. Um, without seeing them, it's very difficult to know exactly what's going on there. But I'm, I'm thinking. Um, I'm thinking it is a, it's wet, mainly, it weather, like mainly weather related. related. Now, well, on one of them, I did repot during the week, and as I took it out, there is ag- ant activity in the bottom of the pot that's eaten away some of the. Yeah, well, the ants, but the ant, ant don't uh, eat root, do they? They don't eat root, but they will mine their mines that they make does cause the Aeration. roots to, to dry out and cause damage. Is there a drench? I think you. I heard you a few months ago, and you said there's a drench you could use. Yeah, there's a product. Well, it's a it's a biological control for ants. It's actually called No Ants, which is quite a good name for it. Um, It's only available mail order through one of the biological supply companies. Uh, The one that I always recommend is a company called Green Gardener over in Suffolk, and their website is greengardener.co.uk. And look for No Ants in the biological control range. How about that? All right. Okay, that's lovely. Thank you for your help. We'll be back to your calls, texts and emails shortly, but let's take a final look at the top tips Jeff has for us this week. Okay, I'm thinking ahead. I'm thinking towards the rest of the summer just about to come round the corner and I'm thinking about our hanging baskets. Oh, we're already, yeah. Well, yes, we could be. If you've got somewhere that is, you know, frost-free and has reasonable good light and ideally, you know, a greenhouse or a conservatory and you want to make an early start, then why not think about planting up your hanging baskets? Um... Obviously, they can't go outside until the end of May. So they've got a couple of weeks to grow on. And in the warmth of indoors, you'll get some good growth. You'll get them starting to produce their flower buds so that when you put them out at the end of May or early June, when all the frosts are finished, then you might get a nice early start. You'll have a full basket and they'll be ready to start flowering. What can you put in your hanging basket? Well, there's well, loads there's, it's of a terrific things. amount, isn't there, of stuff you can put in. And I a mean, lot of people plants. like to shove loads of different things in. Personally, I... I much prefer a, a, a muted uh, sort of uh, kaleidoscope what, of colours. Two or three items, do you think? Well, even one. Just imagine, yeah. you know, if you had, you know, a, a good trailing begonia or the Safinia petunias or the calibracoas, just a whole basket of one plant in one colour. I like those. absolutely fabulous. I like those red geranium, you know, the trailing geranium that drops the flower heads and you don't yep. have to deadhead them yep. beautiful whereas if you have lots of bits it can yep. look a bit bitty and, and not so great so um use a good compost very important put some um water retention gel in it put some controlled release fertilizer in it mm-hmm. um, and you'll then have everything those plants need because obviously the compost is going to dry out very quickly if you put a lot of plants into a hanging basket so they are. Have you got another one? I've got you? another one because I'm still thinking ahead of the summer and I'm thinking, you know, <laughs> lots of people want easy colour in their gardens. And to be perfectly honest, the easiest way to do that is to sow hardy annuals outside and now's a good time to do it. You like doing that and it's, it's simple, isn't it, as well? It is simple. I mean, there's lots of great things. We've got things like, you know, pot marigolds, those are calendulas. We've got echiums, the schultzias, the Californian poppies, which look absolutely fabulous and they're good drought-resistant plant. Limnanthes, lobularia, love in a mist, anemophila. You can get brilliant plants with a sort of a cottage garden feel and you're right just make sure that you you know you work over the soil dig it over put some compost in if necessary and then you've got two options you can either just get the seeds and and scatter them lightly over the soil and rake them in or if you want to be able to determine which are the plants and which are any weeds that are coming up later on easier 
then sow, sow them in rows. Sow them oh, in rows. So then you can pick the weeds out in between. Well, hopefully you then know <laughs> where you've sown. And if there's something that's not where you've sown, that's going to be a weed. Um, and then just you know, water in. Give them a little bit of fer- liquid fertiliser as we go through the year. Make sure the soil doesn't dry out. And then you will have this absolutely fabulous border or a container absolutely full of colour. Thanks very much, Jeff. It's time now to look at some of those events around the county. And we're going to start with the 8th of May. Don't forget there's an audience with Kate Humble at the Mercury Theatre. And that's in Balkangate, Colchester. Check it out and go to www.mercurytheatre.co.uk and you can pick up your tickets to have a listen to Kate Humble, always a popular lady. Also on the 8th of May, there's a Bluebell Walk, 7 till 9 in Highwoods Country Park. You meet at the Visitor Centre um, and it's uh, Turner Road, Park, and that's the Highwood Country Park, Turner Road, C045JR. Going through to the 11th of May, um, there's a plant sale being held at St Mary the Virgin Church, Church Lane, Stapleford Abbots, that's RM41ES. It's on Saturday the 11th, as I said, 10 till 2. There will be other stalls, including cakes, jams, books, brick and brick and refreshments will be available throughout the sale. Let's look also at some of those uh, gardens that are open to the public, Sunday the 12th of May. Uh, West Bowers Road, Woodham Water, CM96RZ. Admission £5, children free, homemade teas there as well. Seasonal special homemade cakes not to be missed. It's a delightful garden tucked away in the gentle Essex countryside. It's a glorious garden. Um, it's, it's sort of hard to beat, really. So go along there. It's got flowing lawns, herbaceous borders, scented roses, clematis trees, wildlife pond and even a small meadow area. So there are, that's one to go and have a look at. Uh, not forgetting another one there, Sandy Lodge in Howl Drive, Headingham Road, Halstead. Uh, <clears throat> please park in Ashlong Grove and walk up Howl Drive. It's a garden for all seasons, three quarters of an acre created over the last five years. Minutes from the town centre, peaceful garden with views over the countryside. It's a two-tier gravel bee border. Wander to our winter wedding border. Then the Woodlands Walk. Across the lawn you can find prairie decking borders. Lots of seating, viewing spots, garden on a slight slope and gravel. So they are. Go and have a look at that and let me know what you think of some of these gardens that you're looking at. That's Sandy Lodge, CO92QL. And that's just 450 admission. Children are free. Don't forget the homemade cakes. That's also on Sunday, the 12th of May. Let me know of your events around the county. Send them along to ken.crowther at bbc.co.uk. Jeff, we got lots of calls, so we're going to have to. You want me to talk quicker, don't talk you? And, and, not, and not be so. Uh, uh, yeah. Now, just, just briefly, Andrew Mowbray from Mark's Tay, mm-hmm. he sent us a picture of something he extracted from the bottom of his pond. Yeah. It's a plant that um, keeps floating to the top, but. He, he's, he's got a new pond, basically. Well, he found this plant, and he, people don't seem to know what it is. You've looked at the picture, and you had a sort of guess, didn't you? Well, it's you? not a great picture, but to me it looks like Aponogeton. Ap- and so is that AP? It is, Ap- Aponogeton, which is a water plant. But, you know, water plants will... Is it exciting? Is it worth uh, keeping? Yeah, yeah, 
it's a, it's a recommend. You know, if you go to an aquatic plant supplier, they 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 can sell you a ponogeton quite easily. Um, but it will float to the surface if you don't anchor it down. So you, any pond plants are best planted in aquatic baskets with a layer of gravel on the top. Which I think he's tried doing, but it um, keeps floating up. Well, he needs to get the roots <laughs> stuck in there somehow. Right, we're going to go to runner beans with Janet from South. From I don't know where you're from, Janet, but let's. Um, where are you from, Janet? Come on. Good morning, Southwood and Ferrers. Oh, Southwood and Ferrers. Okay, Janet, come on, let's talk runner beans. Right. I used to grow my runner beans in, in dust bins um, with compost, and I did quite well. And my husband built me an enclosed um, bed. And the last two years, we've had problems with the beans going yellow and seeming to wilt. I thought it might be um, vine weevil, so I put some of the biological stuff on last year. But it still happens that they're, they're growing really, really well. And they start to have yellow leaves at the top, and then gradually they just wither and die. So, what, what's this enclosed bed like then? What, how, de- how deep is it? What, what's it incl- how, you know, has it got a base? How's there's, it in- there's, yeah, there's, there's a wall on one side. The, the, it, it hasn't got a, a solid base, it's just got earth at the bottom, right. and then it's got a, a frame around it. So, it's, it's like a big container. So, it's like a raised bed against a wall. And then, yeah, and then, and then, and then the soil at the bottom just goes down and down and down. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So, and but what we put in there, we started off with garden compost and then some soil from the garden, um, which is what I've always grown my beans in. Yeah. But there's, there's something I, I think something eating eating at the roots. No, it doesn't know. sound like it. it. Certainly doesn't sound like vi- soil, certainly it? doesn't sound like vine weevil. Vine weevil rarely, if ever, would go off uh, go after beans. Right. Um, I'm. It's got to be soil related. It's got to be something in the soil that it, that the beans don't like. The fact that the, the, the they're going yellow at the top, yeah. so it says that it's a problem with in the root. with the roots. Uh, we, we we changed that. We last year we took everything out and we started again. So we took all the soil out, all of the composty stuff out, and started again. But the same happened. And when you started again, did you use your own compost and your own soil? Yeah. So you're actually putting back what you'd all actually taken out, but different from a different area. Yes. Yeah, because I thought there might have been something in the soil that was some, some sort of bug that was eating them. So no, it's not. Was... It's not. It's not bug related. I can. I can guarantee right. you, it's not bug related at all. If if all you've got is yellow leaves starting at the top, that's not bug related. What would you do? Buy soil in. Yeah. Try bought in soil. Oh yeah, but if it's a large container, silly, that's, that's going to be quite expensive. Um. <sighs> don't use the compost from them. Yeah, Try I mean, no compost from the, your compost heap. Yeah. We always used to put the compost in the dustbins and it was always fine. I would just... Well, unless the, 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 unless the wall that it's next to is, is leaching something out of the soil, unless the surrounds that were made to use the, uh, to make the bed is leaching something into the soil, that, that it, the only other thing it can be is the soil. So basically, try you know, if, if it's, a different area of the garden if to you use. If you use a creosote um, yep. cut covered wood to make the, the, the surround, that might be it. But if not, use fresh soil. Try not to use the compost because the compost could be part of the problem. Yes, Just it, use that. Yeah, if it, we, add some, add some multi-purpose or something to improve the soil condition yeah. and see where it goes. If you, you used lawn clippings in your compost heap <coughs> and you used a weed killer on that the lawn be. clippings, that would cause yeah. a problem because one of the lawn weed killers will stay in the lawn clippings for up to six months. So be careful. Um, right, I'm going to have to move swiftly on because I've got lots to get through. Uh, Iris in Hyonga talking walnut trees, aren't we? 
yes, we are. <laughs> um, well, it was, I had acquired this orchard, this old orchard, and there's lots of old fruit trees in it, and I'd put some more in. But down one end of the orchard are two common walnut trees where nothing is growing. Now, I looked up and I found out it's something called, is it allelopathy? Yeah. And it means you can't plant certain trees because they'll be poisoned. Well, it, it, there's an effect on the soil. But, yeah, yeah so what, what's the question? <clears throat> but the question is that everywhere you look up tells you what you can't plant, but nobody tells you what you can plant. That's so because can you... you find any chance to tell me what I could plant, even if it's woodland trees or anything where I can plant not far away from the walnut? Well, basically, the, 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 the area that is, uh, is affected the... is if you, if you look at your walnut tree and you find the, the furthest spreading branches yeah. and, you, and you draw an imaginary line from the tips of those branches down to ground level... Yeah. It is that area under the tree that is affected. Anywhere else, there shouldn't be <clears throat> any problem whatsoever. So I could plant, say, about six foot out from that, providing I plant yeah. away from that line. That you yes, say. yeah, as, yep. long, as, long no as, you're not, as long as you're not planting under, you know, the 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 the, 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 the spread, the canopy, no. the drip line. There will be no problems whatsoever. So how about? I've also heard that it can kill things from under the ground. Kill things from under the, the ground. Might might spread. Can they actually kill something from under the ground? No, the no. This is all to do with the fact that you, you know, basically, don't grow anything under a walnut. Grow, grow away from a walnut, walnut. And, and everything else will be fine. No problem at all. And from walnuts to asparagus with Dave in Whitton. Hello there, Ken. Yeah, just to cut my quickly. The one I've uh, I've started a lot this year for the first time. I know a little bit about the garden, but I, went, I inherited some asparagus plants. They're coming through, but some are coming through very spindly. Right. I don't know why. And well, also, you... another allotment is closing down, and he said I could have his asparagus. Can I move it now onto my plot for next year? OK, thin asparagus. Some varieties produce thinner, thinner spears than others, but the usual reason is that the soil isn't fertile enough. So I would thoroughly recommend you mulch over your asparagus, uh, but before it starts growing... Uh, so with, next year you've got to wait now, haven't you, well, really? Yeah, or well, you could mulch along the sides. Sides of, sides of it now, yeah. Any good you know, organic material, well-rotted manure, just to try and build up the fertility of the soil, the structure of the soil, and water thoroughly. And is it too late to remove asparagus now? Yes. Asparagus doesn't like being moved anyway. If you are going to do it, um, I would attempt it in November, but try and you know not disturb the roots at all, which is difficult. It is. Dave, thank you very much. Sorry we've had to hurry through, but I'm trying to look after everybody as best I can. But if you've got more questions as your asparagus grows, come back to us. We're yep. always here every Saturday Yeah, you'll probably morning. want to ask us about asparagus beetles soon. Yes, that's next. <laughs> Tony from Southend. Geraniums we're talking. Is that right, Tony? That's right, yes. Now I have some geraniums which are lasted the winter in troughs. It's yes. worth saving them. So you mean pelagoniums, Tony. Yep. I'm sorry I'm going to be technical with you. You don't mean hardy geraniums. You, need, you mean bedding pelagoniums. Yeah, bedding ones, yeah. yeah. Well, if they've come through the winter, then they've come through the winter and hurrah. So they'll, you can um, take off any dead growth, take off any dead leaves, um, give them some really good feeds from now on, and you should have some fabulous pelagonium displays throughout the summer. So is it worth changing the compost or giving them a feed? 
Well, if they're in a trough and, and the think... trough is full of roots, it's going to be very Leave difficult. It's going to be very difficult to change the compost. So just keep giving them good regular feeding. Okay. So what uh, what feed would you recommend? Anything high in potash, whatever you fancy. Tomorite, Tomorite, Phosphogen, Richard Jackson's Flower Power, you you name it, anything that's high in potash that will feed the plants, off you go. Good old Richard Jackson. Okay, and uh, when should I put in the back? Uh, well, they're, they're, are they tall and spindly? Yes. Well, I'd get it done ASAP, because uh, if you leave it too long, you'll just be delaying when they flower. I mean, I would have mm. done it in, in well, because uh, most people overwinter them indoors. I would uh, I'd do mine in sort of late March, April. So get it done as soon as you possibly can. Otherwise, you're not going to get flowers for weeks. OK, thank you. That's a pleasure. That's Tony from Southend. And we go now to Cathy in Brentwood. Hello, Cathy. Hello there. I just want to know if we can move out camellia out of a pot. It's starting to look a bit... The leaves are looking a bit yellow. Uh, we've only had one flower on it this year. I'm wondering if it's OK to put it in the ground. Well, as long as your ground is acidic and it's not alkaline, then yes, and you can do it now. But yellow yellow leaves could be due to the fact Thanks. that it's could not be. getting enough feed, that you're watering it with uh, chalky, limey, hard tap water. And the reason it didn't flower this year is probably because you didn't water it enough last summer. Right, OK then, so it's OK to put in the ground now? As long uh, yeah, as you've what's got... Yeah, your soil? If you've got acidic soil, fine. If you've got alkaline, chalky soil, definitely not. Have, you, have you got clay-type soil over in Brentwood, or is it a nice, black, rich soil? No, it's more clay. You see, so you've got an alkaline soil. I, I would imagine see? that's alkaline, so don't yeah. move it into the... Because that will definitely cause it... It won't do it any good it at go all. Yellow. Keep it in the container, keep it well-fed, keep it well-watered. Right, but don't, OK then, thank if, you for your help. If you're going to use tap water... Uh, treat the compost with sulphur chips, so that'll that'll neutralise the chalk in the tap water. Right. Okay then. Thank you very much. That's Cathy from Brentwood, and we go uh, last call, but we've got a couple of uh, texts as well. We're trying to squeeze in apricot trees with Stephen in Hockley. Oh, hello. Good morning, gentlemen. Uh, Ken, I phoned you about eighteen months ago and uh, uh, seeking advice on planting an apricot tree, and uh -huh. you said, "Let me know how I get on." So, oh, how's uh, it got on then? Well, not bad. I, I went for a variety called Tomcot, which was yep. one of the ones that you mentioned. Um, planted it um, uh, w winter of last year. Um, the old it bloomed, but the old beast from the east blew in, and so we didn't actually get any fruit last year. I was a bit concerned. Um, it didn't half grow in the summer, though. It, they it, do. Yeah, that hot weather. I mean, I was chucking water over it when I couldn't. Boy, did it go. Um, this year bloomed again in all that warm weather towards the um, beginning of March. I don't know if you remember that warm spell yep. Yep. we had. Mm -hmm. um, it's now got quite a lot of fruit on it. I'm, I'm really quite pleased with it. Um, the only thing I have noticed is there's been some dieback, and um, a, a friend of mine suggested it could be apricot canker. I don't know how um, to go about sort of dealing with that. You, oft, you often you get, get die, you often get die back on apricots uh, after the winter months. I would leave well alone until probably early June, and if uh, where where you see the die back, literally just cut that off, but don't do it any earlier than June. And uh, thank you very much. That's the last call. And I bought a passion flower about a month ago, but some leaves are turning white. Why is that? That's Hillary in Brabant Sea. Mm, sounds like it's it's not getting enough enough watering. It sounds like it's a it... lot of mildews about. Could be mildew. Yeah, could mm, be mildew. Could be mildew. If it is white, white. Yeah. If not, 
spray with a fungicide. Use the fungicide, give it, give it, make sure you're giving it plenty of water and keep, keep the feed going on it. Thanks very much for listening to the BBC Essex Gardening Hour podcast. If you missed any of the answers to the questions we gave, you can download this programme, take it with you on the BBC Sounds app. Don't forget, if you have a gardening question for us, why not give us a call on 0800 111 and be part of the programme every Saturday morning on BBC Essex from 11. And next week, it's the turn of Christine Lavelle to join me here in the studio.